Hello, you guys. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Happy Wednesday, everyone, or whatever day you're listening to this on. I hope you're having a great day. As you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are going to be diving into the unsolved murder of 15-year-old Kelly Cook. Now, Kelly's case is one that's going to be extremely frustrating because not only does this seem highly preventable, the information feels like we're so close to a breakthrough in making this a solved case. However, we're not quite there yet. Now, I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. And with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Kelly Cook was 15 years old when she was murdered on Wednesday, April 22nd, 1981. Kelly was born to her her mother, Marion Cook, as well as her father, Walter Cook, and they were living in a town called Standard, which is located in Alberta, Canada. Kelly also had a sister named Marnie, as well as a brother, so they were all living together in Standard. And something to know about Standard is that it is extremely, extremely small. To give you some context, in the year 2011, the population of Standard was 379 people. And then in 2016, the population was even smaller than that with only 353 people. Now, as far as who Kelly was as a person, everyone says that to know Kelly was to love Kelly. She was an old soul. She would have way rather spend her time with adults rather than teenagers. She loved talking to adults about, you know, mature topics such as politics and social justice. For 15, she was very well-versed and very, very mature for her age. And something to know about Kelly as well is that she always was very organized. She had goals and she knew what she had to do in order to achieve them. Kelly wanted to be a lawyer. She was really, really set on that being her career and she was ready and prepared to take the steps that were necessary in order to make that happen. She was great in school. She excelled in all of her classes and she had a bright future ahead of her that unfortunately was cut way too short. Now let's talk about what happened on the morning of April 22nd. Now this morning was again a Wednesday and it started out like any normal day. Kelly woke up and she was getting ready for school when the home phone rang. Now this is 1981. So way before cell phones, you had a house phone and that's how people would get in contact with you. Now at about 8.20 a.m., the family phone started to ring and Kelly decided that she was going to be the one to answer it. So Kelly went into the living room and picked up the phone. However, when she answered the phone, no one was on the other line. So she said, hello, hello. However, no one was there. So ultimately she hung up the phone and walked away. However, right as she was walking away, the phone rang again. Now this time when Kelly picked up the phone, there was a man on the line who identified himself as Bill Christensen. Now, after the man identified himself as Bill Christensen, he said he was new to the Standard area. However, he did live in Standard is what he said. And the purpose of him calling Kelly was to ask her if she would be willing to babysit for him and his wife that night. Now, at first, Kelly was a little hesitant considering she did not know this man. 
And remember, Standard was an extremely, extremely small town, so it was very unlikely that there was someone that Kelly had never heard of before. However, instead of giving him a solid yes or no answer, Kelly decided that she told him that she would think about it, she needed to talk to her mom and see if it was okay, and then she hung up the phone. Now, when Kelly talked to her mom about this, her mom basically told her that she should go into school, see if anyone knew who Bill Christensen was, see if anyone had a connection to him, that way he wouldn't be a complete stranger and then make her decision based off of that. So Kelly went into school that day and asked some of her classmates if they knew who Bill Christensen was. However, no one did. So no one knows who this mysterious man calling Kelly is. However, something to keep in mind is this last name, Christensen. Christensen was an extremely common last name in standard. There was actually about 12 people who had the last name Christensen at the time that Kelly went missing. So Kelly and her family just figured that this was someone who was a mutual of someone that they knew, even though they didn't know him directly. And ultimately, Kelly decided that she was going to go and babysit for Bill and his family. According to Kelly's sister, she said that everyone just kind of assumed that Bill Christensen was a friend or a family member of someone that they knew. Again, you have to think of the time period here. This isn't like today where if a stranger called you up, you would not obviously go and get in the car with them. And this was a very small town. Things like this did not happen where Kelly grew up. So that's why ultimately she decided that this was okay and that she was going to go. So she told her mom that she called Bill and told him that she could babysit for him. And that's when Bill and Kelly made the plan that Bill would pick her up from her house at about 8.30 p.m. Now the babysitting job was supposed to last from 8.30 p.m. to around midnight when Bill would then bring Kelly back home. Now, once 8.30 p.m. rolled around on the 22nd, Bill pulled up in his four-door light-colored car up to the Cook residence, and that is when Kelly walked outside, turned around, told her mom from inside of the house that she would see her later, and went on her way and got in the car with Bill before driving off. And that was the last time Kelly Cook was ever seen alive. Now, Kelly had babysat for multiple families in the past, as well as her sister, Marnie. Marnie had also babysat for multiple families before, and Marnie and Kelly both had a rule with their parents that no matter where they were babysitting or who they were babysitting, they would always call their parents and let them know that they had arrived at the residence that they were babysitting at once they got there, just to ensure their safety and let their parents know that everything was okay. And this was no exception. So Kelly was supposed to call her mother once she got to Bill Christensen's house. And I want to make it clear that when Kelly left and got in the car with Bill, no one went out and met him. So no one went out and saw what he looked like. No one went outside and saw his car. All we really have was that it was a light four-door vehicle and that's it. No one knows what this man looked like and no one talked to him except for Kelly. So when Kelly left for the night with Bill, her parents were both waiting for this phone call to come to ensure that Kelly had made it to Bill's house safely. However, this phone call never came in. 
According to Kelly's sister, Marnie, she said that within the first hour of Kelly leaving, Kelly's parents had a feeling that something was not all the way right here. Now, within just the first hour, Kelly's mother decided to do some investigating of her own, and she decided to call the bank as well as the post office and ask them if there had been anyone that had recently moved to Standard named Bill Christensen, just to see if she could get an address or a phone number or something. However, due to confidentiality agreements, the post office and the bank were not able to give her that information. So she again was left at square one waiting for this phone call that never came. Now, once midnight rolled around on technically the early morning hours of April 23rd, Kelly's parents wasted no time in calling the authorities to report her as a missing person because again, she was supposed to be home at around midnight. That is when this babysitting job was supposed to be over. However, no one had heard from her. So that is when they called the police. And when police arrived to the home and were told what the situation was, the police wasted absolutely no time in going out and searching for Kelly. They knew that due to the circumstance of Kelly's disappearance, due to how bizarre this entire situation was, there was no way that Kelly left on her own. And they did believe automatically that she was in danger. So they immediately went out and started their first overnight search on the early morning hours of April 23rd. However, they came up empty-handed. And just the very next day, there were multiple search groups that were happening to search for Kelly. Word had gotten out all over town about Kelly's disappearance. It was announced at all of the schools and everyone in the community was coming together to try and help in this search. Now, Standard is a very rural area, so there's a lot of farms, a lot of big open plots of land. And so people would gather in groups and go to specific pieces of land and search all throughout them. They brought in helicopters and search dogs and everything you could possibly imagine. All of their resources were put towards finding Kelly. And these searches went on for days and weeks. However, still nothing came up. Now, when it came to Kelly's case, there were so many tips that came in. It was a countless and overwhelming amount of tips that came in from the community. And we're talking about the tips that we've seen these in the past where people will call in and say they had a vision where Kelly was tied up somewhere or they had a vision that she was in a basement. That was the length that people were going to call in and give these tips, which ultimately, as we've seen in the past, sometimes when things like that happen, when people call in and give those types of tips, those aren't necessarily helpful and they can sometimes do more harm than good. And the reason for that is because they're not all necessarily useful tips. However, authorities have to follow through on every single tip that they get because they don't want that one tip that they missed to be the missing link into what could have helped them find Kelly. However, there was one tip that authorities got that really got them thinking. Now, on the night of April 22nd, when Kelly went missing, there was a 911 operator who received a phone call at around 10.30 p.m. And this phone call was traced to a payphone in a town called Husser. Now, Husser was about a 20-minute drive from Standard. And according to the 911 operator, she said that when she got the phone call, she answered the phone. And on the other end of a line was a girl screaming, hysterically screaming, so much so that the 911 
one operator said that she had to remove her headset because the screaming was so loud. And then ultimately, whoever was on the other end of the line hung up the phone. It is very possible that the person screaming on the other end of the line was in fact Kelly Cook. However, there's no way to actually prove that. Now, another tip that came in was from a man who owned a local gas station. And according to this man, he said that on the night of the 22nd, he was working in the gas station. And while he was working, a man walked into the convenience store that was a part of the gas station and asked if he could use the gas station's phone because the payphone outside was not working. The man who owned the gas station allowed him to come behind the counter to make the phone call. And because it was behind the counter, the owner could obviously overhear some parts of the conversation. This man had made a phone call to someone and according to the gas station owner, he remembers hearing briefly something being said about babysitting. Now, obviously, babysitting is where this entire operation stemmed from and where this all started. So it was definitely a red flag to police when they heard that that was the context of the phone call. Now, the owner of the gas station gave a physical description of this man and said that he looked as if he was a farmer. He had dark, possibly curly hair. He was a white guy and his face was described as rounder rather than long. He was clean shaven anywhere from about 35 to 40 years old. He stood at about five foot nine and was a medium to heavy build. Now we fast forward to June 28th, 1981. Now on this particular day, there was a man named Jerry Nelson and Jerry was driving on his motorcycle through Chin Lake, which was about a two and a half hour drive from Standard when he saw what appeared to be a body right on the shore of the lake. Now, according to Jerry, he said when he initially saw the body, he didn't actually know what it was. So he walked up to it and that is when he discovered that it was in fact a body. She had been bound with rope and her body was weighted down with cinder blocks and she was still wearing all of her clothes. And obviously Jerry immediately called authorities and through dental records, they were able to confirm that the body that Jerry had found was in fact Kelly Cook. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. According to authorities, they said that whoever was responsible for this wanted to make sure that Kelly would never be found. The fact that she was bound with rope and tied to cinder blocks showed police that whoever wanted to get rid of Kelly did not want anyone to find her. Now, according to the autopsy, there was no sign of sexual assault and her cause of death, while it has never been determined to be one specific thing, it was said that Kelly had been strangled. However, there's no 
official cause of death that's been released for Kelly Cook. Now, when Kelly's body was found, police went to Walter's work, Kelly's father. They went to his office and told him that they had discovered Kelly's body. And they also told him that the media was aware that Kelly's body had been found. And so they advised him to go home and tell his family before his family heard it through the media. And the way that Walter had to tell his family this and the wording that he used is absolutely heartbreaking. He went home and ever since Kelly had gone missing, they had left the outdoor porch light on just in case she had come home. They left it on ever since she went missing and never turned it off. And right when he walked through the door, Kelly's sister said that they automatically knew what was going on because he had came home in the middle of the day. And right when he walked through the door, he had told his family that it was time to shut the patio light off. And that was all really necessarily he had to say in order for them to know exactly what was going on and know that Kelly's body had been found. Now that Kelly's case was no longer a missing persons investigation and was now a homicide investigation, authorities brought in the FBI to help create a profile of the person that they believe took Kelly. They determined that whoever was responsible for this was a man who was not currently married. However, they believe that he had been married at least one time in the past. They believe that when these marriages ended, that this person became very hostile and had a lot of animosity towards his spouse. And they also believe that there was a large amount of abuse that played a role in each of these marriages. They also released a composite sketch based off of the conversations they had with the gas station owner of what they believe the offender looked like. And they released those images into the public, those drawings into the public with the hopes that it would spark someone's memory, that someone would know what this guy looked like. However, if you're watching me on YouTube and you see what the image is, this does look like your average kind of guy. Yes, he's wearing sunglasses, but for the majority of it, he does look like a very average looking person. So it's not like he has any distinguishing factors that would separate him from a large group of people. But now here's where a whole new element gets brought into this case, and that is when authorities learn that Kelly was not Bill Christensen's initial target. And of course, when looking at the motive here, police obviously wanted to know why Bill Christensen seeked Kelly out in particular? How did he get her phone number? How did this all come about? And that is when they learned that Kelly's phone number was actually given to Bill Christensen by a young girl that Bill Christensen had reached out to prior to reaching out to Kelly which I think I need to make it clear right now that there is actually there is no person named Bill Christensen. Bill Christensen is an alias that was made up by whoever was responsible for this. So just in case the question of why didn't police just find who this person was, Bill Christensen did not exist. Now, this is when police learn that four days prior to Kelly's disappearance, Bill Christensen, whoever that man is, had reached out to a young girl who was 17 years old and attended the same school that Kelly Cook went to. And according to this young girl, she has always remained anonymous in the media just for safety reasons. So we do not know her name. However, according to her, she said that she received a phone call from Bill Christensen. And when she answered the phone, Bill had told her that he received her number after reaching out to the school and asking for her number specifically to use her as a babysitter. So he specifically asked for this girl 
Paul's number in particular, and he had asked her if she was able to babysit for him and his wife that night and that he would pick her up and take her to his house. However, this girl actually was busy that night, so she had to turn down Bill Christensen. And that is when Bill asked her if she knew of anyone else that would be able to babysit for him. And that is when she gave Bill Kelly Cook's phone number. Other information that this girl said was that Bill had told her that he was new to the standard area and that he was looking for a consistent babysitter and was hoping that they could start soon and that the babysitter was for him and his wife while they went out. So he played the part very, very well is essentially what I'm getting at. He didn't make it seem as if he didn't know the area. He didn't make it seem as if he was this strange, creepy man. He definitely played the part of a family man. He made these girls feel comfortable enough. Those are the facts that we have from the day that Kelly went missing on April 22nd, 1981, all the way up to now 40 years later. So let's kind of break down the theories and the thought process that is going on. Now, according to authorities, they believe that whoever took Kelly, without a doubt, more than likely, this was not his first time doing something like this. This was not his first offense. He had done this before. He was skilled enough to know how to pull this off without getting caught. Bill Christensen knew the town of Standard well enough to know that Bill Christensen was a common enough name that it would not be questioned. It's not like this man called up and said, hi, my name is John Smith. He knew that Christensen was a name that was common throughout that specific town. He also knew the town layout. He knew some of the neighborhoods, but that raises the question of whether or not he was a local himself or if he was just familiar with the area and knew people that lived there and knew it well enough to pull off seeming as if he was a local. And that also brings up the question of why did no one recognize him when the composite sketch was released? As we've said many times, Standard is a very, very small town. You would think with that composite sketch, regardless of what the man looks like, whether he's very average looking or not, you would think that that would spark someone's memory of, oh, this looks like someone I know. Now, a question that I have in this case was, is it possible that this was a two-person job? Was it possible that there was a person who was the brains behind this case and then a person who was more so the one who had to follow through with it? Meaning, is there someone who was doing the job of calling the girls and making it seem like they knew what they were talking about and making it seem like they were locals of Standard and then there being someone else who all they had to do was go to Standard and pick up the girl and take them to whatever location they were supposed to go to. Because if you think about it, that would make sense as to why no one recognized this man who walked into the gas station, because maybe he's not the brains behind this operation. Maybe there is someone else who is a local in Standard or who does have a lot of ties to Standard, who knows more in that arena. And then there was just someone else who no one would recognize that just had to go pick Kelly up. Because also, when you think about it, this person made a phone call. If this is the same person, which I'm assuming it is, because you would think that if this is not the same person and that the person who made the phone call in the gas station was a random man who was just making an innocent phone call, you would think he would come forward and say, hey, no, this was me, It's I didn't do this, and clear his name. However, he didn't, which makes me believe that that was, in fact, the person that took Kelly Cook. 
And if that's true, then he did make a phone call to someone else and used the term babysitting. So who did he call on the other line? Another question is what was the significance of where Kelly's body was disposed of? It was a two and a half hour drive from Standard. That seems like a very well planned out spot to take her to. And there was no sign of sexual assault. So what was he planning on doing with Kelly when he took her? What was the motive here? Why do this at all. Obviously, there's no valid reason whatsoever, but what was the true motive behind here? What was the plan? Why drive her two and a half hours out into a lake and go as far as trying to weigh her body down with cinder blocks? You would think if something happened in their plan that just foiled the whole operation, they would just try and dispose her body somewhere quick and easy. However, they took the time to truthfully try their hardest into making sure Kelly was never found. Now, like I said, personally, I believe that this was more than a one-person job. I think that whoever did this has done this before. They have planned this out well enough to not get caught. Still, 40 years later. Personally, I think Bill Christensen, whether that's the person that's the brains behind this operation or whether it is just one person, I think he is very connected to Standard, whether that is he knows someone there or he lives there himself. I personally believe that the only way Bill Christensen lives in Standard is if this is a two-person operation. That's the only way it makes sense in my mind why he would never have been caught. Now, if he doesn't live there, I think that he's connected to someone through family or friends. It's someone who was just close enough to know the area and know the space, but not close enough to never be detected for it. Now, at this point in the year 2021, it is very possible that whoever was responsible for this is already dead, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because that means they will never be caught and held to justice. Since this happened in 1981 and whoever did this was suspected to be between the ages of 35 and 40, that was 40 years ago. So if he was 40 years old at the time, he would be 80 now. So there is a chance that he is alive. However, he definitely is reaching the older end of the spectrum. I also think that there is no way that no one else knows about this. I think that there are people out there who do know who is responsible for this and they just don't want to say anything. I think that whoever did this did not keep their mouth shut about it. Standard is way too small of a community for that not to have happened. Now, what's also so interesting in this case is that Kelly was not Bill Christensen's first choice of who he wanted to kidnap. He specifically went after the initial first girl. And I think that even that was more so a random pick because if he was specifically going after that girl, he could have said, oh, okay, you can't babysit tonight. What about next week? What about in a couple of days? What's your schedule look like so we can set up a time where you can babysit? If that was specifically who he wanted, I don't think, however, that was the case. I think whoever did this was looking for the quickest solution and trying to find someone that day. And it didn't have to be that girl. It could have been anyone because he then asked if she knew of anyone else that could babysit for him. So clearly it wasn't that he was going after that girl in particular. So that is what we know about the Kelly Cook case. And trust me, I am just as frustrated as you. This was so easily preventable. I'm sure you're already thinking it, saying how in the hell 
did a 15 year old get into the car of a stranger who picked her up at her house? It seems textbook. It seems very, you know, this almost seemed like it was too easy. It's too simple. You know, he literally did not know her. He picked her up from her house and then she's never seen again. We rarely see things like that happen just because it seems to textbook of a kidnapping case. However, that is exactly what happened here. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, why did the parents let her go? Why did she go? Why did, why did no one stop her? But again, I think we have to remember the time period. I think we have to remember the circumstance. This was such a small town. Christensen was such a common name. So her guard wasn't necessarily up. Obviously, we can't go back and change that. However, it is very, very unfortunate because 40 years later, Kelly's case is still at a complete standstill. However, no one has ever forgotten it. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe.